Imagine for a moment a large group of people from Minnesota coming to Roanoke to take over the valley because they are tired of their freezing cold winters and they want to live in a more temperate climate. They want our homes and churches and jobs. So because they're stronger than we are, they force us to go to Minnesota. Boy, are we in a strange land. We don't know what kind of clothes to buy. We don't know the cheapest way to heat our houses. We don't know, or at least I don't know, how to put chains on my tires. We've never gone to work or school with more than two feet of snow on the ground. Is it going to be better for us to live in ignorance and freeze to death? Or to accept Minnesota as our new home and make the best of it? Should we keep to our snobby Virginian selves or get to know the Minnesotans and learn how they live? Should we hide in our homes and our Virginia cliques or begin to work to make the lives of ourselves and others in our new city better? These are the questions faced by the people of Israel in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, except, of course, their Minnesota is Babylon. And the Israelites had the sense that God, their God, was actually located in the temple in Jerusalem. And now here they were, miles and miles away, with no near hope of return. What now? Jeremiah the prophet gives them good and godly advice. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Jeremiah said their own welfare, their own well-being, their own peace, their own prosperity depended on the welfare of the Babylonians. Now that word translated welfare is the word we have heard, of course, shalom. What do we know it as? Peace. Yeah, peace. Peace does not come without effort. It doesn't come without work on our part. Their peace depends on us. Our peace depends on them. So build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Have children. Have your children's children get married. Make a life. Though you're not where you want to be, find peace where you are. As we have appreciated the gifts of our children, our church's children on this children's Sabbath, we celebrate them. We are thankful that our own children, the ones we know, have more than enough clothes. We are thankful even that we parents can throw uneaten food down the disposal. We are thankful that our children can start the school year with the school supplies that were on their list. And yet we know that 
our children are the lucky ones. Because we know that, each summer we bring in school supplies to help out the kids who don't have others. We collect food for families sometimes, and our SHARE program helps not just children, but all who will eat healthy for a better cost than at a grocery store. Today, we're collecting soup for seniors to go through the LOA for others who don't have what they need. One of the great things about this church is that we have and take opportunities to help people who need help. We have no idea how that will come back to us or even whether that goodness will come back to us, but we do it because that's what Jesus calls us to do. Something inside of us knows that our welfare is found in the welfare of others. Well, in today's gospel story, Jesus is on a border. He's along the border between Samaria and Galilee. I could say that to the choir. I don't think they'll get me too. Samaria on one side, Galilee on the other. The Jews live in Galilee. The Samaritans live in Samaria. Whew. We Jews don't really like the Samaritans. There's been that bad blood between us for mm, centuries. So as Jesus and his disciples, and the disciples might have been furtively casting their glances over into Samaria to see those people and make sure there was, nobody was going to attack, somewhere along the border, there's a colony of lepers, we call them, people with a skin disease. They can't live in the city in Galilee. They can't live in the city in Samaria. The law was against it. So they had to stay off by themselves so they wouldn't contaminate anyone. So they say have, to Jesus as he's passing by, have pity on us, have mercy on us. You know, they don't ask him to heal them. They, they're saying something that a beggar would say. Toss us a few coins, maybe. Jesus does something better. He answers their request in a surprising way. He tells them to go to the priests. And on their way, as they're going, they become healed. And as Linda described in the children's sermon, they got so excited, they didn't even think about going back to Jesus and saying thank you, except for one. One of them disobeyed Jesus and turned around and went back to him and kissed the dirt practically. He, he put his face in the dirt towards Jesus, said thank you. And as he's doing this, he's also praising God with a loud voice. He knew he knew what was done for him and had a powerful way of saying thank you. Now, Jesus didn't know these men. Why do you think he did this? Well, he knew because if they were happy, then their families would be happy, that they could come back home. He knew that they would have ability to go back to work and find meaning in being able to work. 
because now they could be in contact with other people. But you know, it wasn't the twist in the story wasn't so much that the one person came back, it was that it was that the Samaritan came back. You guys. The Samaritan was the one who came back because he knew what it was like really to be outcast. He wasn't just outcast because he had leprosy. He was outcast because he was a Samaritan. And he was the one, the one on whom the disciples were probably looking down. He was the one who returned to Jesus to say thank you. Jesus offered the man healing, not just on his skin, but throughout his whole being. And now a new relationship, a relationship of thanksgiving was born. Pay It Forward is a movie that's worth seeing. I won't talk about the movie itself today, but the, um, the, the title itself comes from the reverse of pay it back. You know, we, we talk about paying back debts. One semester in seminary, some anonymous person found out from the registrar how much more tuition needed to be paid on my bill and paid it, completely wiping out my debt to the seminary that, for that semester. It was, it was a big deal. That's when a nickel was a big deal. But I can't pay that person back. To this day, I don't know who it was. But I can pay it forward by donating money to a scholarship fund. After becoming a parent, I learned that I can never pay back my parents for all the cleaning up they did after me, if you get my drift. But I can pay it forward by changing another baby's diaper. We can never pay back God, of course, for the powerful blessings of love and presence and guidance and salvation and friendship and joy. But we can pay it forward by sharing these with others who don't know about them. There are 12 million people, excuse me, 12 million children living in poverty in the United States. Now, the majority of those have parents who work full-time, and yet they still live in poverty. There are 9 million children in the United States without health care. And that's why we want to say that the welfare of our children is our welfare as well. We know that money can't buy happiness, but as the Children's Defense Fund notes, whether a child will flounder or flourish can hinge on many things that money does buy. Good quality childcare, eyeglasses for reading the chalkboard, a little league fee, a musical instrument. And yet we have to notice too that our money may not be the best gift that we can give children. We all have something to give them. Last Sunday in the Roanoke Times, Shauna Flowers had an article about the speaker that was at Patrick Henry High School. I don't know if y'all saw that or not. Sarah Pawson, I guess is how you pronounce it, 
was the name of the 25-year-old woman who came and spoke to the juniors and seniors ahead of their homecoming weekend. And she had made the mistake of drinking alcohol and driving when she was 20 or 21, I think. And um, her one-car accident led her to have an amputated arm and skin problems all over her body that, where she had had grafts from about 36 surgeries, I think it said. And so her body, she said, was her message to the children, to, not the children, to those students, that drinking alcoholic beverages has consequences. And now she speaks to young adults and um, older and high schoolers all over the country because she understands that the welfare of others is the welfare of all of us. Each of us has something special to give to a child. And my challenge to you this morning is to seek what that is for you. What can you give even to one child? And follow through with God's help, knowing that in the welfare of that child is your own welfare as well. Let's pray together. God of love, you have made all of us interact in powerful ways, and we thank you for the web of support that you have created around this earth. We pray that in our little intersection we might touch carefully and helpfully the lives of children, at least the life of one child, this day, this week, this year, and let us do it in your name. Amen.